We are broken, hurting. Uh, we're sinners, Lord. We confess that. But we know, God, that in your, your grace, that we can come here. We can have confidence and meet you. For you have paid the price. You've made the sacrifice, Lord, that makes us worthy to be in your presence. Not by our work, but by your work, Lord, on the cross. And for that, we give you praise and honor and glory. It's in your holy name we get. Amen. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Hey, uh, that, that line from that song, Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. I mean, that's worth the price of admission. We can go home just as we consider that. Uh, um, hey, uh, so as uh, Joel mentioned, as I was sitting in an elder meeting um, a few months ago, and he came in with this sermon series, and you know, it had, each one had the passage and kind of the title laid out, and, and I saw them, and I thought, okay, well, you know, I saw Love Your Enemies, and I was like, I don't want to do that one. I just don't want to do it. And, and so I didn't sign up for any that morning. And the next two days, God kept nudging me. That's yours. That's the one you should give. And I was like, no, God, I'm not going to. And so it was about two or three days later, I called him and said, okay, Joe, I, I think I'm supposed to do Love Your Enemies, but I don't want to. Uh, and so uh, so here I am. I thought I got out of it the first time. but uh, And then I got, thought I got out of it the second time. But uh, but I guess it was meant to be. Um, so Love Your Enemies. Um uh, and I'm thinking about enemies. Uh, I can't help but uh, that when my son Ben was uh, in preschool, I went to pick him up one day, and we're walking, and he points to this other boy. He says, see that boy over there? He said, that's my enemy. And I'm like, at, at four years old, how do you have an enemy? I was like, what do you mean he, that's your enemy? He said, that's my arch nemesis. I said, no, I understand what enemy means. <laughs> but how is he your enemy? Well, apparently they had had some dust-ups on the playground, uh, and they had some disagreements, and Ben just did not like this kid. Uh, uh, and uh, and so it was just funny. Like, that's his enemy. That's his arch nemesis. Um, uh, now that those boys are really good friends. Uh, but uh, it was just funny that at four years old, he recognized that he had an enemy. And as I, I kind of, you know, the phrase public enemy number one kind of came, you know, I rem- you know, kind of heard that through... It's actually a phrase that came from the 1930s. Al Capone was the first uh, one that was called uh, public enemy number one. Uh, John Dillinger, uh, who you know went on the crime spree across the Midwest in the 30s, robbing banks uh, and killing people, he was also uh, called public enemy number one. A handful of others, Pretty Boy Floyd, and but you know you kind of that's the 30s, and you go into the 40s, uh, 19, uh, December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy forever when Pearl Harbor was attacked and that launched us into World War II against Imperial Japan. And, of course, we were fighting Nazi Germany. And um, and then immediately, almost immediately after World War II, the Cold War began, uh, you know, that democracy versus communism. And that lasted well into to the, you know, into the 90s and uh, that Russia was our uh, big enemy. And I'll never forget, it was like 1985, Rocky IV, uh, was out. I went to the theater with my my family, and uh, that uh, you know again that's when Rocky was fighting uh, the Russian. The Russian had already killed Apollo Creed, and and so they're fighting, and and it's a movie, and everybody in this theater knows it's a movie, and like my 11 year old self knows that it's a movie, but at some point in the movie, there's the chant USA, USA, USA. Is that that was in, you know kind of at the at the height of the Cold War is U.S. versus Russia. Um, you know, and then, you know, that uh, 2001, 
September 11th. You know, if if we were, if you were alive then, you know exactly where you were. I was on a golf course uh, when I heard those planes had gone into the towers, uh, and that really the rise of terrorism, uh, and that launched us into a couple of different wars, uh, and that we have been fighting terrorism then. You know, it's kind of before September 11th. It didn't seem that that you know you might hear every four or five years uh, you might hear of a terrorist attack, and now we're not surprised by it, like. It, like, it's almost rare if it doesn't happen within a month. It is that it has become the norm. Uh, and, you know, that uh, we've, you know, kind of destroyed Al-Qaeda, but, but ISIS rose in, in its absence. Uh, and so, again, new enemies uh, can continue to surface. Uh, and, you know, this, this sermon was supposed to happen the Sunday after the election. <laughs> Thank God it didn't. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, um, in my lifetime... Um, I've not seen our country more divided, uh, either left or right. And social media was brutal through the election cycle. And even as the investigation into the hacking of, you know, of uh, the Russians, is, is it, it's even kind of amping up again. Uh, and that, that all that I saw on social media was people trying to be right, not trying to be hurt. Uh, and I just thought, you know, and even... I, I, I bought the bait. I, I, I kind of leaned in a few times and, and made my own post and <laughs> did I regret it? Uh, you know, it, but it was it brought up tension and anger and frustration and bitterness. Um, and so uh, so with that, I think it is a it's a timely subject. How do we love our enemies? How do we love people that maybe have wronged us? How do we love people that may not see eye to eye with us? Or may actually have opposite views of what we have. Uh, let's look at Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it is it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. It's absolutely radical thinking to love your enemies. Uh, like, that, that kept me awake this week, is because I thought that is so radical to consider. That we would love those, we're called to love those who hate us. We're called to love those who see things differently than the way we see them, or believe things differently than the way we believe them. You know, it's interesting, he says, uh, love, you know, love your neighbor, you know, you heard, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And I think about neighbors, and it's, I mean, it's somewhat easy to love our neighbors. It's not always easy to love our neighbors. I mean, you know, we're coming out of the holiday season, and let's be honest, it's not always easy to love our family. You know, that, you know if you spend time with extended family, I mean, it lasts so long, and then, you know, it, it's just time to go home. Um, and for the most part, I get along great with my neighbors, as long as Mr. Pickle doesn't throw his leaves down in my yard. Uh, that, 
that we get along great. Now, you know, because I think about our neighbors is that they typically, you know, that the kind of socioeconomically, kind of, you know, that with your neighbors that kind of probably make the same amount of money that you make, typically probably have the same value system that you have and believe the same things that you believe. You know, there may be, a, you know, an argument over a fence or something else, but, but, but you typically get along fairly well with your neighbors. But this whole idea of love your enemies, love those who hate you, it's darn near impossible. If I'm being completely honest, how do you do that? I would say it's impossible with us to love our enemies. You know, and, and it's funny, I didn't think of this two months ago, but I thought about it this week. And it hit me square in the eyes, and I, could, I struggled to sleep this week because I just couldn't get this off my mind. If you turn, if you're, turn in your Bible to Romans 5. See, see, Jesus has given us the example. He's paved the way. He's shown the way that we can love our enemies, and it's not going to be easy. Romans 5, verse 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Note this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, when we had turned our backs on God, it wasn't his choice that we were enemies. It was ours that we chose. We're going to live life on our own. And so for, for God, for Jesus, to love his enemies meant he loves us. That we were once his enemies. And he could have let us live life on our own and be destined for a life, eternity in hell. But his love, his great love for us would not allow that to happen. And I think the most beautiful picture of what it looks like to love your enemies is the days leading to the cross. And of course the cross. You think about Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was rushed to this phony trial and where they threw these accusations at him. And of course they ran him to, to three different uh, kind of, you know, times for him to answer questions, but he didn't. He just stood there. He could have answered those questions and set them all straight and been done with it. But he was here on a mission. See, he had to redeem his enemies, you and I. Uh, and so, so then eventually Pilate didn't want to have a, a revolution, so he gives the crowd what they want, and he sentences Jesus to be crucified. But before he did that, they took Jesus out and he was flogged. And again, you've, you've heard this, I'm sure, but, but it's a cat of nine tails. Uh, and so it's a whip at the end with nine strands at the end. And at the end of that, on each strand is, is glass and bone and metal. And, and the Roman guard that would do that would have to get rip-roaring drunk because it was too brutal uh, to do sober. And so they strapped Jesus around this post. And this Roman guard would whip it and it would, and it would wrap around his body. And, and these would stick in and he would rip it out. And it was said that if it was done 40 times, it would kill a man. They did it to Jesus 39 times. And, and I was at a Young Life conference a few years ago, and Jim Caviezel, the guy who played Jesus uh, in the movie The Passion of the Christ, he was, he was speaking. And he said to film those scenes when he was getting uh, 
flogged is that they put a metal, um, a metal plate on his back so, so that he could still receive those flogs, but it, it, it wouldn't hurt. And he said one of the, of the cat of nine tails, just one strand hit him, and he was out of filming for two days. So, so he only received one out of the nine, you know, of one time, and he couldn't film for two days. Thirty-nine times Jesus received all nine, and it ripped flesh away. Unspeakable pain that he had to have gone through. And, but that, I don't even know if that's the worst, because then, then they kind of put a robe on him and a, a, a crown of thorns on his head mocking him. And they put him in a circle, and they would punch him and say, if you're the son of God, tell us who hits you now. And they would hit him again. And they would hit him again. Who, who hits you? Tell us who hits you. I'd have been mad. I mean, the, I mean I, if I wasn't mad already by the flogging, I, I would have been furious, you know, by the first time that I got hit. But I don't even think that's the worst. Because so, then they would spit on him. And they were mocking him. And the Bible says that he could have called legions of angels to come down and wipe them all out. And I think the first time somebody spit in my face, I would have been calling them all. And I would have wiped the whole place out. But he didn't because he was loving his enemies. See, we were his enemies. Uh, not by his choosing, but by ours. Is, there, is this desire, this sin in us that decided we're going to live life on our own? So he wanted to give us an opportunity to live life with him. So for him to, to do that, he had to bear that pain, to bear that punishment. And of course, you know, they, they put the nails in. And they hung him on the cross. And it was said that it would take six or seven Roman guards to, to hold someone's arm down. I don't think it happened that way with Jesus. I think he laid his hand out. And I think he laid his other hand out. I think he willingly laid there while they drove those nails in. And, and even if, if all that other abuse wasn't enough, here he is hanging on the cross. And then people down below are gambling, casting lots for his clothes, basically saying he's a dead man, he's not going to need them. And so they were gambling for his clothes. And even the thief beside him is saying, if you're the son of God, he's taunting him. If you're the son of God, save yourself, save us, get us out of here. And that, that I, I would have been beyond my uh, tolerance. Is that These people don't deserve to be loved. These people don't deserve what I'm doing for them. And you... you I, but instead of giving these people justice, death, separation from God, instead of giving us that, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You see that, that they, the people at his feet, the people that have punched him and spit on him, they deserve justice to be separated from God eternally. You and I, with our, with our decision, you may think, I never decided that. But it's inherently in us that we choose to live life on our own, to do it our way apart from God. You see, we deserve justice to be separated from God. But Jesus, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It is absolutely, how do we love our enemies? Jesus was God, like we're not God, but we have, if we have given our lives to Christ, if we have asked him to come live in us, we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. That's the only way that we are capable. It is supernatural, divine, that we're able to love our enemies. 
First John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. You think about, like, we're able to love because His love resides in us. If you think about the moon, you know, the moon reflects the light of the sun. You think about it, is that we, as children of God, those who have a relationship with Jesus, is that we have received His love and we're able to reflect that love to others, to our neighbors and to our enemies. But it's only because of the love we have received from God. That's the only way we're able to love others. In, in Matthew nineteen twenty six, Jesus was talking about the rich young ruler, and, um, but it applies here. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. For me, the reason I didn't want to preach this sermon is because I knew I was going to have to share this story. Um, is that when I was 19 years old, uh, if you know me, you know that I am ultra competitive. Is that it doesn't matter if I'm playing checkers or uh, card game, uh, or it's even worse playing sports. Is I want to win, uh, and I want to win badly. When 19 years old, I just began to follow Jesus, um, and still didn't quite know what it meant to follow Christ. Uh, and I had this competitive, arrogant streak within me. And so my buddies that I graduated high school with, we would go to the, our high school gym and play ball and it, it would be you know 15 to 20 guys that i'd grown up with playing ball in this gym and uh and so that night there was a guy that i played baseball with and uh we were friends but you know we weren't close friends and and he was guarding me and that night i was on fire and i scored the first four or five points for my team and i was letting everybody in the gym know that this guy couldn't guard me uh and that i was talking trash to him but i was talking trash to other people about him uh and um uh all i remember is coming down with a rebound um and i woke up 12 hours later in a hospital uh and that the doctor comes in and he says do you know where you are and i kind of looked around at my surroundings and said it looks like i'm in a hospital he said do you know why you're in a hospital, and I looked down and had on my basketball shoes, and the only time I ever wore them was to play basketball. I was like, I guess I got hurt playing basketball. And he said, you don't know what happened. I said, no clue what happened. And he said, well, you were assaulted. Uh, is that you have shattered your eye, or your eye orbital was shattered. Your eye socket was shattered. Again, I, I have very small memories of that night. Um, but what had happened is that I, you know, I came down from a rebound, probably said something else, that if not what I'd already said was bad enough. And so this guy, he threw a right hook uh, to my left temple, uh, and then when lights literally went out at that point, and then threw an uppercut uh, to the chin, and I hit my head on the gym floor and went into seizures. Uh, and I had a severe concussion to go along with this. I, I don't remember any of that. Um, and so I had to have reconstructive surgery on the left side of my face. Um, the doctor called it plastic surgery, so this pretty face isn't natural. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so that they literally, literally put these plastic eye socket in. Uh, and because I was, I was out of high school and I was working, I wasn't yet in. This, I hadn't gone to college yet, and so I was not on my dad's insurance, which means I didn't have any insurance. Uh, and so to have this reconstructive surgery was this huge bill that came 
on, and um, I didn't have the money to pay it. And so the collections agency started calling, and so I set up a payment plan, you know, as a 19-year-old could pay, and uh, and so I paid on that for about eight years. Um, uh, so I know probably five or six years. Um, uh, and in, in the midst of all that, I knew that I'd done. I knew that I was not innocent. I knew that I had my share in it. That I may not have deserved it to that extreme, but I brought it on. Um, uh, but my my parents came to me and um, wanted me to press charges. But I like they weren't there. They didn't know, and and I wasn't. I was. I didn't want to because I, I knew it would ruin his life. It was aggravated assault. Uh, but yet it was. You know. Uh, my brother at the time wasn't in a good place, uh, and he's older than me, and I was afraid that if I didn't press charges, my brother would do something that would ruin his life and the life of the other guy. And so um, so I pressed charges, but it went to trial. And I was the star witness. I didn't remember a thing about it, and I was relieved uh, when there wasn't enough to send it on. And so they dropped the charges, um, and, and I thought I was fine with it. Uh, I thought, okay, I moved on, but it was like, Twice a month, I would, I would write a check and take it to pay uh, for this. And by this time, I was in college. I didn't have much money to begin with. And every time I would write a check, this anger and bitterness would well up within me. Hatred. And words, I can't, words that would come to my mind, I can't say here this morning. And it was like this hatred welled up in me. You know, that, that I, it was just, I'm trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus. But yet, I had such deep hate in my heart. And it was a... And so it's like every month that I would have to write these checks, is it would just be a reminder. Um, and so Dana, I've been married for a few years, uh, uh, and I had um, just been dealing with this, and she hadn't known about it. But you know, kind of one night out of the middle of nowhere, God woke me up. I said it's time to let it go. It, it's time to let this hatred go. But see, because I thought that as I held on to this hatred, as I held on to this anger, as I held on to this bitterness. See, it was justice. I didn't get justice through that trial, but this was my way of getting justice. But see, I wasn't holding him prisoner. I was holding myself prisoner. See, I was imprisoned by my own hatred, imprisoned by my own bitterness, uh, and that I thought I was harming him. I wasn't doing him any harm. It was harming myself. And so, again, it was, you know, I jumped on Facebook. He and I weren't friends on Facebook, but I sent him a message. And I typed it and erased it probably three times because I thought, man, like, this should be going the other way around. Like, I didn't punch him. He punched me. And, uh, but I apologized for the way that I acted leading up to that. I apologized for pressing charges. And I told him that I forgave him. And, and I sent it. And immediately when I sent it, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm exposed. Like, what if he doesn't respond to this? Like, like I just felt this sense of, oh, my gosh. Like, what have I just done? Uh, and instant regrets. Um, and so the n- next day, I get the notification that he responded. Uh, and he says, Scotty, there's not a day that goes by that I, I don't think about what happened. He said, I hate it. I regret what happened. He said, I forgive the way that you acted. And he said, I hate what I did. And he teaches, and he said, I tell my students all the time how one bad decision can so deeply affect the lives of others. But see, it, and it was then I felt free, like, you know, that I had forgiven him I, I, uh, and that he had uh, forgiven me. And it even asked for an apology. Um, and it was, you know, that it was just freeing for me. 
is that I felt like I was able to grow from that, move on from that. You know, that I have worked with high school kids for over 20 years through the ministry of Young Life. And I, as I have listened to their stories, uh, they have gone through some horrific events in their life of uh, parents who have walked out on them or uh, abuse beyond imagination. Um, and I imagine a crowd this size is that you've had some terrible things done to you as well. Uh, that you've had uh, your share of struggles uh, that has gone on, that where people have done these things to you. It's not easy. And the thing is, that I, wanna, I want you to say is that you may have this, this, this similar hatred or anger or bitterness in your heart. And you're saying, I'm going to hold on to that because it, this, is, this is what I've got to hold on to. Uh, I think it's holding you prisoner. I, I think it's holding you captive. Love our enemies is to let that go. One is, so, so even as much for yourself as for them, is that for us to be the children of God. You know, that, that, that verse, uh, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. We're following the example of Jesus, that we want to be more like him. And part of that is just letting that stuff go. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's even in your strength to do it. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You know, that we love because he first loved us. The timeless truth for this sermon, if you've heard anything else, is that we can only forgive and we can only love our enemies through the help of Jesus Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that this is possible. See, this guy, I could not have forgave him. I could not have, you know, offered my forgiveness to him without God urging me and giving me the strength to go through with it. But, you know, I think it starts for praying for those uh, who have wronged us. Praying for those that we may not see eye to eye with. You know, I, I found that praying for someone changes the way I feel about them. And it seems the more that I pray for them, that it's like I, I develop God's heart for them. Is that I begin to see them in new ways. Again, when I received this, this response from this guy, I had not thought about it from his perspective. I probably would have punched myself <laughs> that night if I was him. Uh, is that I didn't know what was going on in his life at that time. Um, but we pray for those that we may see as our enemies. Pray for those who may persecute us, that may not believe the same things that we believe or value the things that we value. I think it starts with praying, asking God for his help. But then there may come a time where he asks us to move on that. And what do we do when that happens? You know, when I was in college, I was in this small group uh, with these six, six other guys, and we would just meet and talk about what it means to follow Christ and it was loosely led. It wasn't any strong structure, but we would sometimes look at Scripture, sometimes just talk about what the week was like for us. One week, my friend Shane came in and said, Hey, I've got two questions for you. You know, say hypothetically, he always had these hypothetical questions. Hypothetically, you're out in the desert and you get bit by a snake and it's too far for the EMS to get to you and so you can make two phone calls. Um, who do you call to say that you love? And who do you call 
to say that you're sorry. And of course, you know, we all went around this circle asking, answering these questions. And I think, um, and it's interesting, my roommate Daryl said, for both of mine, it's my dad. You know, is that, that, that he and his dad had had a contentious relationship. And, uh, and so that week, uh, I didn't, I can't remember who I said, but I didn't have the courage to do anything about it. Uh, so at the end of that, Shane said, well, why don't you give them a call? And, but my friend Daryl, he had, you know, the courage, but he also felt the nudge from God to say, do this. So he, he called his dad and he went over and he had this conversation with his dad where he told him he loved him. I don't think he had told his dad he loved him in a few years. And he, he asked for his forgiveness. Um, what Daryl didn't know at the time is that his dad would die two years later. Uh, and that Daryl kind of wrote this beautiful song kind of about this. And it was, it was just this amazing thing is how this, this, this God urged him, pushed him uh, to, make this, to take this step of forgiveness. To take this step of loving someone that had been separated from him. Um, so this morning, I'm going to change those questions uh, to fit more of this. Is that if you had two phone calls, and again, it's uh, you know you've only got 30 minutes to live, too far from EMS to get to you. Um, um, who would you call to say I'm sorry? Who would you call to say I'm sorry for something that you had done to them? And who would you call? to say that you forgive them for something that they had had. Now, even as I ask those questions, as you consider them, is that there may be somebody that quickly popped into your mind of this person I would call to say, I'm sorry. Or this person I would call to say, I forgive you. And maybe, maybe none popped in your mind, and that's okay too. And again, what is keeping you from making those phone calls? Again, I know some of it, it may be, way more difficult uh, than you can imagine. I'm saying if, God, if you feel God nudge you or encourage you to make those phone calls, please do. But even if you, like me, who was a coward and said, I'm not going to do it. Like it took me years to contact this guy. Is I ask you to at least consider praying that God would change your heart give you the power, the capability to forgive and to love. Again, is that we are following the example of Jesus, that we once were enemies of God, that we were separated from God, and there was nothing we could do to bring ourselves back. We couldn't be good enough. We couldn't clean ourselves up. Is that we had chosen to live life on our own, that we may not have been there in that circle punching Jesus in the face and spitting on him, but we might as well have been. And that he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That he loved us still. And he still loves us more than we could fathom or imagine. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners. Christ died for us. That's how much He loves us. Let me pray. Dear God, thank You uh, for this day. Thank You uh, for this time. Thank You uh, for this passage. It is so hard to consider. So hard to conceive how we love our enemies. 
So I pray that you would impress upon us what that means for our lives, what that looks like in our lives. I confess that I cannot do it without you, that my friends here cannot do it without you. I pray that you would be with us. Help us love as you would have us love. For your name I pray. Amen.